and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 18. This week, Brian and I are talking all about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you've read them all, which I really hope you have, you've probably noticed that Matthew, Mark, and Luke share a lot of similarities in their stories and structures which is why they are referred to as the synoptic gospels because of how in sync they are. While John is an outlier as its structure is distinct. So in this episode, we talk about all those similarities and differences and what that means about the books themselves. If you've ever been confused why one book says something one way and another a different way, this episode is for you. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a review on Facebook? If that's not your thing, would you mind sharing the post about this episode or another episode you've enjoyed on Facebook or just tell a friend? That works. We'd love to expand our audience. With all that said, let's jump into this episode looking at the similarities and differences in the Gospels. Brian, back to the bistro. Hey, Ryan. How are you doing today? I am delicious, like the food <laughs> at the bistro. <laughs> the bistro. What, are you, what are you ordering today? Oh, I'm ordering up some synoptic Gospels. <laughs> okay. We, we said we were going to talk about this, didn't we? Yes. So, okay. Yes. And that's why I'm ordering it, because... I don't. I don't know where I'm going with this whole metaphor. The synoptic, the synoptic gospel rolls, or the like oh. the cinnamon rolls. You know? Yes. Oh, we're we going cinnamon rolls. We're we going sushi here. <laughs> I think cinnamon rolls. It's it's still early. It is early. You've already had a sausage biscuit with egg. With egg. Don't forget the egg and cheese. That, no cheese. I I have to watch my figure. <laughs> I can't be having that much dairy. Okay. Well. Anyway. <laughs> Enough banter. Try, try our synoptic cinnamon rolls. Synoptic cinnamon rolls. Yeah. They, and, then, and then the Gospel of John. Uh, is, is he the one to wash them down? <laughs> like the coffee? Anyway. No. Yeah, the coffee was good. Thanks for the coffee, by the way. Good, good yeah. bistro coffee. Pour over. Pour yeah. over coffee. It's the best. So anyway, we, we talked before about Gospels and and kind of what they are. We, we've said one of the things we have to do when we study the Bible is think about the genre and, and how you read a particular genre. Okay. And so... What are these gospels? These we have these four in in our New Testament. We have these four documents that are stories about the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think I said before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's right. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we said before that that they're not biographies in the traditional sense. We think of a biography. They don't necessarily focus on you know Jesus' early life. There's only a couple of story. You know, a couple of them. Matthew and Luke have stories of Jesus' birth. Luke has a story of Jesus when he's twelve, but then. Really, they begin at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, Mark doesn't even start his gospel until you have John the Baptist, and then by the end of chapter one, Jesus is you know on the scene. He's on the scene doing his thing. So you, you've got that focus. It's focused on Jesus' ministry, and then something like fifty percent of the narrative of each of the gospels, all four gospels together. If you take about fifty percent of them, they're focused on one week in the life of Jesus, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. It's um, you know from the triumphal entry when mm-hmm. we, we remember in Palm Sunday and then it goes all the way through Easter that week is really a focus of about 50% of the gospel so it's not a, you know not biographies in the in the traditional sense they're even a little bit different there are these things in the ancient world called bioi that are that are lives of different people and they're even different than than that in some ways and so we, what we were going to talk about though is is we keep using this term synoptic gospels and mm-hmm. kind of what does that mean? 
what what we have is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So these four four documents, three of them, we call the synoptics. And the reason are that very early people noticed that they told the story of Jesus in a very similar way. In fact, to the point that you can lay them kind of side by side and see even linguistic similarities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, in Bible college, we had the harmony of the Gospels yeah. where you re- it lined them up all next to each other in some ways. Yeah, so harmony of the Gospels is is an Eng- it's an English book where they've laid the fo- all four of the Gospels side by side and put in parallel columns each of those um, each of those uh, accounts and basically where where the story is told the same they're they're side by side so Matthew Mark and Luke all tell the story in a very similar way now Luke or John I should say has some some similar stories to the synoptics but there's a lot of differences too and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit in just a minute but let's talk let's go back to the synoptics when you look at those harmonies side by side, one of the things that we sometimes would do is we would do these um, word harmonies, they're called. I don't. Did you ever do that in school? No, I don't think we ever did that in school. Okay. Well, it, the similarities between Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so close, even to the word, even to the to the linguistic level, that you can actually color the words that are that are the same in all three. And, and what we would do often is we'd color those one color, and then. If there's an agreement between Matthew and Mark, we would color that a different color, and then agreements between Matthew and Luke. And anyway, it's an interesting exercise because it really shows you how close the language is in these three. So this leads us to what I often call the synoptic problem. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah, really. It's only a problem in this. It, it, so if we had four accounts that were completely unique, you know, that wouldn't be an issue, right? We would go, okay, well, these are four different people who are telling the story through the you know inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They give us different perspectives on Jesus' life, and that's what we often say about the Gospels. But then they're similar, though. You know, they, there are these similarities, even to the level of words sometimes. Mm. And so, what that's caused some people to think is, well, there has to be some kind of literary dependence. In other words, <laughs> you know, maybe you did this in college. You know, did you ever <laughs> did you ever copy off to somebody else? <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. My silence says everything. <laughs> so. So, you know, it, it, the thought was, and this is back in, in kind of the beginning of what we call modern scholarship, when people begin to look at this and they're like, hey, these things are really similar. They must have been copying one from the other. The interesting thing, when I first started thinking about this, Luke, if you think about it, the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke says that he's aware of other people who've, who've written down these accounts. Well, mm-hmm. you read this for us. Read just the first couple of verses of the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke chapter one, uh, one and two here. I'm flipping. Can you hear my? Sorry, button? yeah. I should have told you ahead. Of, I never warn you ahead of time. No, you don't. I should. Th- that I is should. one thing I want all of our listeners to know. <laughs> that Brian usually just says, "Okay, let's go," and I have a rough idea of topic, and I have no idea where we're going, and I'm like. And we had dinner and last do, night. You do very well to us, Ryan. <laughs> I just want everyone to know. I said, Brian, there's usually at one point where you're like, I'm not trying to make you look dumb. And I'm like, but somehow it happens. I think you're very sensitive. I think you're you're a very intelligent person, Ryan. Yes, I'm a delicate flower. Okay, here we go. Luke 1.1. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So he says many others have, have done this. And, and the word many there is interesting because basically Luke is saying, I know of other people who've written down the accounts about Jesus' life, but I'm trying to set them in order because I've talked to these ministers of the words and eyewitnesses. I'll come back to that in a minute. But but, but Luke is saying that I know these other gospels. And so people said, well, how did these 
what's the relationship? The synoptic problems is trying to answer the question, what's the relationship between these three gospels that see things so similarly? And there are two major ways that people have answered this. One is that they say, well, there's this, there's Mark, which is, you know, basically the, the whole idea is it's based on this assumption that you begin shorter and more simply. And then, of course, Matthew and Luke are both significantly longer than, than the gospel of Mark. So the idea is, well, Mark is there. But then there's this other common material between Matthew and Luke that doesn't appear in Mark. Right. When people begin to notice this. Interesting thing is a lot of it, not all of it, and that's one of the other problems, part of this problem, but a lot of that are the sayings of Jesus. And so a long time ago, there was a person who posited this source that they called the saying source. And 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 the short for this, they, a lot of these were German scholars in the early history of the of the modern period. And so they called it the Kela, which is the, the German word for source, and it's been shortened to Q. So mm-hmm. if you've ever if you ever read a commentary on Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or a book about the life of Jesus, sometimes you'll see people referring to Q. And all they mean is this hypothesis, this idea that this common material between Matthew and Luke had to come from a different source that we no longer have. Now, here's the thing about you need to understand about Q is we have no evidence of this document ever existing. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. It's not like we have the document someplace. It's been reconstructed. People have tried to put it together. They put it together in different ways from this common material between Matthew and Luke. And, and so you, you've, you've got that. And the other thing is there's no one in in the ancient world that ever refers to it. Nobody ever said, none of the early Christians talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this is just, you got to understand, this is just a hypothesis. So the idea is from these two then, and also then from some unique material from Matthew and Luke, then that's where all these came. So Mark and Q were the earliest, in, in, according to this theory, and then Matthew, Luke come out of that, mm-hmm. uh, that common material. Now, the problem is that doesn't fit all of the evidence. There are ways in which there's material in Matthew and Luke that show commonality where it's not in Mark, and so that's one problem. There's also all sorts of other problems. And so... <laughs> we got to end this on a positive note yeah, when we yeah. get done with this. Well, I'm sorry. Well, Keep let, saying the word problem. Let, let me give you two other ways of looking at this. There are those who, and, and I won't give you all the fancy names, but this is sometimes called the Grease-Bach hypothesis, but... <laughs> I'm not going to give you the fancy names, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> well, it's obviously there was this guy named Griesbach. But, <laughs> so this theory says Mark was the first, and then you had Matthew writing, and then Luke, you know, Luke, who says he's aware of these other accounts, used Mark and Matthew and then some some other material in order to come up with Luke. So that theory is is simpler. It doesn't suppose some hypothetical source that we have no information about, but it, it still has, it's it's trying to show the way this independence, or that I should say the dependence on one another happen. Now, here's, I think, the positive note. Lately, we have been paying much more attention to what we would say the the spoken nature or the oral nature of of the Gospels. Uh, and if you think about the very early, after after Jesus lived, after he died and was raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven, he said to his disciples, go and preach this message, right? And so the earliest form of telling the story of Jesus' life was preaching, was the spoken mm-hmm. word, and people were listening to it. And we see examples of that, even the book of Acts, right? Right. Um, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and talks about the life of Jesus 
focused on his death, burial, and resurrection, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we think that they're the earliest form of this, and we're paying more attention to how these oral cultures transmit information, the way memory fits into this and all these kind of things. But the idea now is that the broad outlines of Jesus' story, which I, I'm going to call something like the synoptic history or you know the synoptic story, mm-hmm. the broad outlines. I'm not talking about Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but just the broad outlines of the story of Jesus' life probably was told first orally, and, and people repeated it and memorized it. <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning, Ryan. You and I were, you said we had supper last night. And we were kind of telling some some stories from our families, right? Yes. And everybody has these family stories mm-hmm. that they they repeat, right? You, right. You tell them over and over again. It's not just it's just not one time story, right? Right. And the more those stories get repeated, the more they kind of take on a particular form. Mm-hmm. Now you may you may tell the story differently every time. You're not going to use you know you're not going to use exactly the same words, but there are certain parts of that that you do. Mm-hmm. Like and especially, it's interesting. It's focused on the things that people say, right? Because oh yes, sometimes what makes these stories funny are are what people said or the response to things he said or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, in the same way, Jesus, a lot of his sayings he said in a way that made them memorable. Mm-hmm. You know, first shall be last, last shall be first. There's there's a parallelism to that. He said that apparently a number of times and in, in, in different ways. Some of these stories that he told the parables would have had a memorable, a parable of mustard seed would have been a very memorable image that people could then repeat. So the teachings of Jesus, and again, these are the words of Jesus, and and I think the early Christians thought these were important. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where we have a lot of this commonality. Now, the way we get into the story and out of the story and so forth, the narrative details around it sometimes are told in different ways. And it, it's the same way when we tell a story, right? Right. You know, a joke, when you're telling a joke, the punchline is what's important to remember, right? <laughs> yes. You got the whole buildup and you're like, oh, I, wait, uh. Uh, and everybody's just like, it's a huge <laughs> letdown. Yeah. I have some friends who always say, cool story, bro. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, so we, what we imagine is there's this period of time. And, you know, we've talked about N.T. Wright before, and and he's been influential on me, the way he thinks, thinks about these things. And he talks about, he thinks that a lot of this came not necessarily a dependence, a literary dependence, but an interdependence during this period of time when these early Christians were telling this story and repeating it and telling mm-hmm. it again, especially in a community. Yes. You'd be telling this story. And it happens with families too, when you're telling the same story and you say something, you get it wrong, somebody will jump in and correct yes. you. Right. Yep. Oh no, no, no. It was that way. You know, mm-hmm. it was we were doing this or we right. were going here. And again, that's the importance of that community, that early community, and and the work of the Holy Spirit, I think, in that community is making sure that what was said was trustworthy and was accurate. So Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit. We were talking before we did this podcast. Again, I had a little glimpse of what we're going to talk about, but just like the oral traditions and that communal reading was a very common thing back then, not just for entertainment, where someone would come and perform something, but within the early church and with the synagogues and the Jewish, like that's how they knew the scrolls. That's how they knew the old Testament. And so if someone said the wrong word, the community knew it well enough because they'd heard it. They could go, no, that's not right. The community was the controlling editor in some ways. Like they, they could separate the, the good, you know, like, no, that's accurate. That's inaccurate. And so 
even though it's oral and not necessarily written down right. totally, the community knew what was accurate and not accurate. And this is an example of what we talk about a lot of trying to understand the culture that these books were compiled in at, at, to the best of our ability. The early modern period, these are these are guys who read books. These are people who read books and and wrote things from them, copied things out of them. Mm-hmm. And, and we we today live in a very, I would say, visual culture, uh, a literary culture. In this period of time, it was a much more oral culture. And there's examples of stories where people could memorize long passages mm-hmm. uh, that that they would hear people repeat, and they would be able to to repeat them verbatim. So our memory is a little bit different because you know. All I got to do is when you're in school, you don't necessarily memorize a long passage. You underline it, right? Yes. You mark, maybe you put a flag, one of those sticky notes in the margin, and you know where you can go back to that and find it again. Even today, I was looking up some stuff and some books. I was like, oh, I remember more or less what was said, but I'm going to go back and check the way that it was said. But this is a culture where not everybody had, first of all, had access to books. There was only a certain percentage of people who could read during this period of time. So the oral, the spoken word, was much more important in some ways than the written word. And, and I say today we live in more of a visual culture even where, uh, you know, you're a videographer and, you know, that's part of what you do f- to make right. a living. Yeah. And the language of, of video has become the way we can communicate things and remember things. You know, people can quote movies now, you know. Yes. They, they can quote long scenes office, from – Office. Yeah, the TV everything, shows. Everything connects to the office in my <laughs> opinion. So – so, you know, th- this is kind of what I'm compelled by is this idea that during that period of time is where we find these common languages. Now, so that's kind of the synopsis. That's how I think the synoptics, that's my answer to the Is synop- that it was like an oral tradition. And, and so that's where the commonality came. And then there were some individual things. I did want to mention this before we go on about Luke, because mm-hmm. it said, not only did it say that I know these other people who've taken these accounts, in other words, he knew these other gospels were out there, but then... He also says, I spoke to eyewitnesses and, and teachers of the word. And, and eyewitnesses would be those people who saw Jesus' ministry firsthand. Teachers of the word, probably those who are taking this spoken word tradition and, and handing it down. And, and here's where I'm a little bit different uh, when we start t- thinking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John. Of course, you know, John is really the area that I study the most. Mm-hmm. And and it's difficult, you know, we, especially in our day and age, you can't be an expert in everything because there's just been so much written, especially the Bible. There's been so much written on every book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so usually I, I kind of stick, I, I'm not necessarily always in the majority opinion on some things, but I usually have, it's not just me making this stuff up, right? But there are other people who think similar kinds of things that I do. And when it comes, especially when it comes to the gospel of John, but I'm a little bit different when it comes to the synoptics in my understanding. And and here's the reason is I don't think John was written as late as some people do. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the, one of the main reasons the gospel of John was written was because of the destruction of the temple. Yeah. And so 70 that, AD, 70 AD is when the destruction of the temple happened. So I think he probably was writing within the first decade at least, the first few years after the destruction of the temple, to answer partly the question, what do we do now that this visible representation of God's presence among us is gone, and the way that we draw near to God is gone, what do we do now? And John's answer is, well, Jesus, you know, that Jesus is now the true temple. He's the means by which we draw near to God, and he's also God in our midst, you know, literally. We've talked about that in, in another podcast, or another episode, I should say, this podcast. But what we have here 
in John then, if it's written in 70 AD, here's the relationship then, because John's different. John's the outlier, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the question with John. So we've, we've kind of talked about the synoptic problem. The question with John is, is it dependent upon the synoptic gospels or is it independent? And there's different people who think different things because there are some stories that are similar in John. Feeding the 5,000, for example, occurs in John. Triumphal entry occurs in John. There's some similarities, but there's some differences. So there are stories that that are in common. Of course, the crucifixion, the resurrection. These are stories that we find in all accounts that we find in all four Gospels. And, and some of the order is different as well. Exactly. So we, we've talked before about John chapter 2 and this thing that took place in the temple, which I call the temple incident. Yeah. Um, which our Bibles label as cleansing, cleansing of the temple. Cleansing of the temple. But, which, but that's not right. We'll talk about that one of these days. But uh, the... Uh, we'll come back to that. Yeah. The idea of the temple incident here in John is in chapter 2. But in the synoptics, really becomes the the um, how do I say this? The beginning reason, or not the beginning reason, but the the impetus to, imp- to to kill Jesus. It becomes the reason for his crucifixion. But it happens so early in the Gospel of John. Well, it's it's early in the in the narrative. But the mm-hmm. question is, where does it occur in, in chronological time? Because again, you're a videographer. You know, there's different ways to tell the story other than chronological. You don't always have to tell it literal, like straight ahead in the time. Right, Straight timeline. I, I wouldn't say literally, but yeah, chronologically. Yeah. So, so there's there's these things. Oh, I'm trying to think of one of my favorite examples of this. Um, Memento. Yeah, well, Memento tells the story almost. It it almost plays with that idea of chronology and tells the whole story backwards, right? But I'm trying to think. There's some. Oh, Gandhi is an ex, is is a good example of this. Uh, the movie Gandhi. It begin. If you've seen this movie, I have not. Oh, well, there's your assignment. Uh, that's probably it's probably a little bit out mm-hmm. of date, but yeah, but we'll Gandhi, come back. I'll come back to Gandhi that. begins with his assassination, right? Mm-hmm. But then it kind of goes back and tells the whole story that leads up to that. And so there's there's movies like that that kind of give away the ending, if you will, and then kind of go back and tell the story. And, and so I think John is doing something, and, and there's a difference of opinion on this, but I think John is doing something by putting this story early. He's he's highlighting the, the temple that because that whole incident ends with Jesus say, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And John tells us, the, the narrator tells us that he was talking about the temple of his body. So yeah, in all of these things, you know, what what is the relationship then between John and the synoptics? So early Christians said that John wrote last. That was kind of their take on this. And the thing I will say is I think he was aware, and there's some indications. I'll, I may give you a couple of examples, but but I think there are indications that John knew the synoptic story. Now, I'm not saying he knew any particular synoptic gospel. I think he very well could have, you know, mm-hmm. but I think he knew at least the outlines of the synoptic story, and he does some things in his gospel that show that. I'll give you one example is there's this time, there's this conversation that People are having about who is Jesus the Messiah or not, and there's this group of people say, "Well, you know, when the Messiah comes, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem," and and John doesn't really say anything else about that, but it, it's done in a way that he uses some other misunderstandings that kind of lets the reader go, "Oh, wait, you know, they're debating whether Jesus is born in Bethlehem." Well, of course he was born in Bethlehem. So I think he's writing. John is writing for people who knew the broad outlines of, of the story of Jesus' life. The reason we find him leaving out some things, in fact, at the end of John's gospel, he says many other things Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Mm-hmm. Right. So he says there's lots of you know, 
He says, I suppose if, you know, the world cannot contain the number of books. And we wrote down everything he did. You know, the, there's not enough room in the world for, for the books. And, and so he's, he's admitting, I'm not telling the whole story. And so I think that there are times where he says, well, you guys know this part of the story already. I'm not going to spend time on that. But there are some things that happen that I think are important for us to talk about now, especially given the, know, temple. The, the temple and those kind of things. Now, this leads me to be, this is where I'm kind of a minority here, because I think John is probably writing last of all the Gospels, but I don't think he's writing late. Mm-hmm. I think he's writing right after the destruction of the temple. That means I push back all the synoptics before the destruction of the temple. And this, you know, take this as a fair warning. Not everybody's going to believe that. But I think there's good reason to think that. Let's imagine for a minute, and this some of this is, is um, supposition, but let's imagine that of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Luke's the last one written. Luke's the one who says, oh, I know these other people who've written these, these accounts, copies. right? So let's imagine that Luke is the last one written. If we believe, and I do, that Luke is the same Luke that's mentioned in Paul's letters, mm-hmm. mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians, mentioned in Philemon verse 24, mentioned at the end of 2 Timothy. Timothy. Yep. If this Luke is the same one that is associated with the writing of this gospel, this traveling companion of Paul, then think about when Paul's ministry was happening. Right. You know, Paul was, we believe, beheaded under Nero. Uh, seems to be in, in prison during that period of time. So in the in the mid sixties, mid to late sixties is when Paul loses his life in in Rome, according to at least tradition. And it seems even within Paul's writings, there's indications of this. So if Luke is a traveling companion with him and going around to these different places, it would have also given him an opportunity to interview these eyewitnesses and these ministers of the word. Because, again, this is some supposition. Early church tradition has some of the apostles settling in different parts of the empire. Paul is always talking about, my ambition is to go to these places where the gospel's never been preached. Mm-hmm. They do end up in Rome, though, at, at one point, even though the Paul didn't establish the church in Rome. The church in Rome was already there. And so a lot of these major metropolitan areas, Corinth, Ephesus, um, Rome, these are places where early Christians began to gather, and some of these people who would have been eyewitnesses to parts of Jesus' ministry. Luke gives us some material that's unique to his. One of them, Luke 24, the the story of the two on the road to Emmaus, is unique to the gospel of Luke, only one who has it. And it's interesting, he mentions two disciples there that were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. He tells us a different story about that, but he mentions one of them by name, Clopas or Cleopas, depending upon what translation you have. So it makes you wonder, well, he mentioned by name, is this is this where he got the story? Is that as, as he was traveling with Paul in these missionary journeys, did he come across this eyewitness? And this is one of the people that he interviewed and, and got this firsthand account. So I think Luke, I, I think there's every reason to think that Luke wrote during this period of time of the missionary journeys. The other thing you just got to think about, Imagine, Ryan, put yourself in this in this position that you are a, an early Christian. Paul comes into town. Let's say you're, you live in Thessalonica, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Thessaloniki, however you want to say it. But you live in Thessalonica, and Paul rolls into town. You hear him preach the gospel, and, and you become a believer. You pledge your life to become a disciple of this of this person, Jesus. Now, you've never met Jesus. And, and you've heard this story about Jesus, right? And and you've 
pledged your life, there's indications that the early Christians, there were, there were sacrifices that they made. Sometimes they lost family members because of their belief. Sometimes they, they put them in a difficult position in, in terms of their position within the community, maybe their jobs, you know. So you've pledged your life to this person, Jesus, that you've never met. Don't you think you're going to want to know some stories about him, right? right? And of course, Paul's only in Thessalonica a short period of time until he gets run out of town. And so here's this group of believers now who are kind of left on their own. And I could imagine Luke thinking, we need to get together a group of these stories to lead with people so that they can know who this person is. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I always say, I think Luke is writing with a missionary purpose. One of the, and I guess I should get to this at some point. So when we begin to look at these comparisons, right, what I think we really need to emphasize is that each of the gospel writers was writing with a different intent, right? Or audience in mind. Right. These were not just copy. These were not just you know Xerox guys that were just you right. know Xerox and these stories for the sake of it. But the way they arranged it and the way they told it was for a purpose. And, and you know, one of the things that we see Luke emphasizing is the role of outsiders. For example, there are some people who think Luke may have been the only Gentile writer of Scripture, which is an well, interesting, thing, interesting to to about, to think about. Yeah. Right. And so you have these others that are part of his gospel that are these kind of these outsiders become an emphasis for him. And again, if you you can imagine if he's writing, especially for these young churches that were primarily Gentile, that was primarily what Paul was doing, was planting churches in this Gentile world. Um, You could imagine that would be stories that they would want to hear about. So... Where am I going with all this? So, so the early the early scholars in the modern period who kind of emphasize literary, they were coming out of a literary tradition. Uh, they are people who had, who were, they were book people, but the gospels were coming out of an an oral tradition, an oral community, and I think we need to pay special attention to that. Uh, John, as I said, I think is writing uh, with a broad outline of the of the understanding of the synoptics, but he has a different purpose now and. I mean, I'll be frank, one of the other reasons I think that he's writing after the destruction and these others are written before is the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, the world's changed. Worldview Uh, has shifted. Completely. I mean, it's a completely new thing now. You know, in fact, one of the things that, if you remember the Gospel of Matthew, one of the accusations against Jesus is he spoke against the temple, right? Mm -hmm. But now the temple's gone. Uh, in the Gospel of John, one of the things that the Sanhedrin is talking about is if we allow this to go on, the Romans are going to come and take away this place, probably mm-hmm. referring to the temple. Place and nation. And now it's now it's it's happened. And so, you know, it, it's, it's a completely different perspective. And I think that's part of what explains the way that John tells the story differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a different situation. It'd be like, you know, people talk about post nine eleven literature, for example. A novel is different now after that. Or if you're going to film a TV series set in New York now, it's going to be different than it would have been, you know, before the the Twin Towers fell, for example. Just you know, again, to give you another example of a cataclysmic kind of event that changed our perspective on things. Yeah, and it's, I mean, just everything culturally, yeah. even twenty twenty one. You know, looking geez, back, like yeah. things. Yeah, we, things we, changed this past year too. Yeah. Yeah, things change there, and you talk about oh, we could you couldn't make that show today, or you know that that wouldn't go, right. or this doesn't work anymore, or yeah, um, you know, and and it's thinking now. You talk about nine eleven. It's like there's generation born now that has no 
Right. Pre, any, right. Pre nine yeah. 11 understand. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, that's, it's really interesting. Like how the, the culture shifts and there needs to be a new, you know, John's going, let me help frame this in a way that fits into the, the world that we're living in now. Cause I think that would be a hard thing. I think even as you're trying to convince the Jewish audience about the work of Jesus, like, right. Like, how do we, how does he fit in now that that's, you know, like yeah. it's, yeah, I think that that's an interesting um, to think that the worldview has changed. And John's writing this in a way to help them bridge that gap. Yeah. And as it's almost missional, like you said, Luke, it's missional yeah. to the Jews for them to understand yeah. who Jesus is. One of these days soon, I want to talk about the One of the things I've written about a little bit is the uh, feast in John. Um, you know, right now, I know this is, you know, po- podcasts are always never in the time, but we're, we're approaching Easter. We're approaching uh, Holy Week this as, as we're recording this and Passover. And of course, the Easter and Passover are very closely connected. This this Jewish festival, Passover is mentioned in all four Gospels, but then John mentions these other feasts as well: Tabernacles, uh, dedication, as we've talked about before, um, an unnamed feast in chapter five. So, so for for John, these feasts, and again, if you think about it, these festivals, were times when people would come up to the temple. That was that was the place where this took place. Um, you know, that's where their commemoration of the significance of these feasts was centered around the temple. So again, John's saying now that the temple's gone, well, Jesus was fulfilling the, the the message that is contained in these festivals. All the gospels say that about Passover. Uh, John does it in a couple of special ways, just just to give you an example. Well, I probably shouldn't talk about this now. We'll talk about it later. But but um, another one. Well, I'll give oh, you. I have a chalkboard. Everyone, <laughs> when Brian says we'll talk about this later, I just put you. I write yeah, another another line. another. It's line. like you're in prison There's, and you just put a what check mark for every day. Thirty seven now that thirty. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I was going to say about Passover is, uh, you might remember we've talked before about when they broke the bones of the people, the leg bones of the people who were crucified next mm-hmm. to Jesus, they didn't break his bones. And John said, this was to fulfill scripture that not one bone of his body would be broken talking about the Passover lamb, uh, from the, from the book of Exodus. That's, that's what he's quoting there. And so he connects the significance of the Passover to Jesus in a very, special way there. And and he does this in some other ways as well. Yeah, I think that would be an interesting thing to talk about sometime. But yeah, I think things have changed and that's the the similarity. What what are your thoughts on? Do you have any questions or, or thoughts about the the gospels about you, you want anything else about these connections? Or? No, I mean, I think it's always you know, I've read the harmony that we alluded to earlier right. where you put them right beside each other and you always kind of go why is this said differently here yeah. or how, you know, how do I reconcile this? And I remember in Bible college, it was always, these are written to different audiences yeah. and different people. Um, and they have different, um, they have different things that they're interested in yes. or, you know, just like Luke being a physician that it's a much, right. that there's some different things in there. And so I, I don't think I have any extra thoughts. I mean, obviously that it's, they are different and they have different meanings, but right. on a positive note that, that there's still sure. all, you know, that's one thing I want to make sure we come back to right. as we talked about synoptic problem. It's, <laughs> it, well, you know, you, you don't want to just sow doubt here, but that no, no, no. these are still, yes. How do we understand the differences in them? And then right. the differences, there are some cultural things and, sure. um, cultural things that are happening and from different perspectives, but right. they're still truthful. Absolutely. And God-inspired. Yeah. And, and in fact, I, again, I think the reason we think about these issues and the differences is to really pay attention to the way that they came down to us. As I've said before, God chose to use human beings to 
transmit this message. Even, you know, of course, Jesus came in the flesh. You know, that that was that was the way that that God chose to um, uh, reveal himself to us in this. And and he chose human authors. Now, he again, the Holy Spirit carries along the human authors, but the communities that they're writing to, the interest that they're trying to get across, the questions that they're trying to answer are going to be different from from place to place. It might be interesting, you know, sometime to talk about the kind of the traditions behind the Gospels. I'll, I'll just mention Mark. The early church father said this was Mark writing down. Of course, Mark was a traveling companion of Peter's at some point as well. Mm-hmm. He's mentioned in the Petrine Epistles, of the books of First and Second Peter. We call the Petrine Epistles, and so um, Mark is mentioned there. And uh, so we think that he was with Peter at Rome, and so Peter's preaching the gospel at Rome, and Mark is writing down these things. Is is that's again the early? This is very early tradition. The early Christians believed that that's how the gospel of Mark came about. Luke, as I said, traveling companion of Paul, and then and then Matthew, one of Jesus' apostles, who was writing. And, and there's there's even this tradition that there's a thing called the Hebrew Gospel that's associated with Matthew. So maybe writing to um, to a more of a Jewish audience again. Uh, Matthew particularly uses a he, he says kingdom of heaven places where other people say kingdom of God, which is one of the indications that he made, which he uses them in similar context. Uh, which may be an indication that he's writing for for people who would have used that kind of language more than the kingdom of God. So, anyway, just those those kind of things. And again, I no, it, I don't think there's any reason that this should so doubt. But instead, uh, I think what it does is it shows us that these were were real living documents that were written, written to real people in real context. But yeah, telling the story of this person that was so important to them and. Actually, I mean, there are a lot of people who think that they're written pretty late. What I've said, and again, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the minority here, you know, throw mm-hmm. rocks at me if you want. I think they may have been written not too long after the events that they they, they talk about. Um, and what I, what I think is interesting as I've been sitting here processing all this is that, you know, John is sharing a lot of this, some similar stories, but ordering them differently. And, and even in the same information ordered differently, we're revealing another layer yeah. of who, who Jesus is. And I think that's an interesting thing for me to think about. Sure. It's just the order that you tell the story, it, it further expands the view yeah. of, of the nature of who Jesus was. The way I've said this before is all four Gospels display selection and arrangement. Those two things. And you do the same thing when you're when you're telling again. We use the family story. You yeah. select, you know, what the what details st- I want the details you share that and, you think and, are important. Exactly. If, if you're telling it to be funny, it might be different than if you're telling it to uh, make sure that your kids understand what happened here. You know, I want you to know all the details about the story or whatever. So you select, you know, the details, and then you arrange them in a way that's going to have maximum impact, narrative impact. Right? We are storytelling people. And it's it's the way that that we we do this all all the time, uh, but no, I think it, it it says nothing about the the reliability, the lack thereof of, of the gospels. Uh, I think it says that these are very real people who are writing to other real people and, and for a specific purpose. And it's, again, it's biography for impact. Absolutely, uh, you know, some people have have used yeah, biography for impact would be a way way to say that. Or you know, some people have talked about. Um, you know, again, they're focused on the gospel, which is what Jesus told his apostles to tell people. They're focused on that final week. And so some people have talked about that they're, you know, uh, one person called them passion narratives with extended introductions. Okay. So they're, <laughs> yeah. so they're, they're really about the life 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but then they have the the material that puts that into context to understand why, you know, what it was it about this guy that he did and the things that he said that made these things happen. So Yeah. And you and I had this conversation a little bit earlier this year. We're recording this again, as Brian said, like right before Easter, and you'll yeah. you'll get this sometime later. But uh, I, I led a small group through a chronological yeah. Bible. And when you got to the Gospels, it was kind of the harmony, like right. putting the stories next to each other. And it was a slog for me <laughs> to read the same thing and to read the same thing yeah. and, and, and and your comment was that's the worst possible way to read the gospels <laughs> which i agreed but mine was more about but also because you're you're missing yeah the order and the you know and how they structured those stories and so i think you know if you're listening one of the important things is as i've learned and i'm you may have learned as well is like you know like the harmony or putting them side by side is interesting for academic study but as far as other right. things it's it's good to read them as a story sure. as a as a told story as they are written yeah i have another kind of thing against the harmony but but <laughs> let me let me say this the harmonies yeah. are useful and i would say not just academically but but it's laying them side by side that we begin to notice these similarities and differences that cause us to ask the question okay what is matthew trying to do here what is luke trying to do here that that's the reason for the harmony i'm not saying that, that there's no good reason for them but then yeah if they have written to tell the story in a particular way, it, it, you know, the narrative, the 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 structure tells us something. And we've talked before about the importance of looking at the narrative as a whole. Or even when we, we've talked about the gospel or the, the book of Romans, you know, you need to look at it with a particular passage within the overall argument, how that fits together. Here's my other thing about the harmony. John always gets short shrift because, you know, and John, you know, John's pretty important to me. John, I think the narrative is very tightly woven together in order to understand, you know, and I've tried to demonstrate that, mm-hmm. you know, he uses his, you know, the language very carefully. Light and dark right next to each other. Right. And, and uh, you know, the the idea of my father's house we've talked about before and and how, well, it's in chapter two and it's in chapter 14. And you know, there's there's other things we haven't we haven't even talked about yet, but the word remain, for example, is very important. And all these these things, you know, early in the gospel, or yeah, the gospel of John, Jesus says there's a time coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man and will come out of their graves, and then you have it happening with Lazarus in chapter eleven. So, you know, that kind of fulfillment kind of kind of things. And and I think he's very particular and very specific in the way that he chooses to arrange this. And what happens with the harmonies? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story the same way. That's the outline of the harmony. Mm-hmm. And then the parts of John are kind of cut up and stuck in the in-between. Yes. I right? remember this very clearly. Yeah. They're like they're like the, you know, it's like the the jelly to the sandwich or something. I, I don't know. It's, but, it's a tag along here. Right, right. We're just gonna kind of cut it into pieces and stick it, stick it where, you know, in these in these blank spots in between. Now the other we haven't even talked about this. The other interesting thing is, you know, it's interesting to speculate what if we had a different collection of gospels. So if we only had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if we did not have John, we would not know that Jesus' ministry was longer than a year. Uh, only okay. only John gives us multiple Passovers that we have. So. We usually say that Jesus' ministry is three years, and the reason we believe that, the only reason we believe that is because there are three Passovers in the Gospel of John. And so, and at least one of them, in chapter 6, Jesus is not in Jerusalem. So that's an interesting 
yeah. thought, you know, that that if it were only for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we would have this kind of idea, well, there was one year in Jesus' ministry, and that was it. Only John tells us there were multiple years that that this ministry took place. And so, um, you, you know, those kind of things are, are interesting to think about. It, you know, if we only had, you know, John's gospel, for example, or if we, what, like I said earlier, what if all the gospels were completely different? You know, that we would we would think about these things in a, in a different kind of way. And, and so... Part of what we're trying to do is to understand who Jesus was and the things that that he actually said. But but in order to do that, what you know, as I often say, the way that God chose to give us these books through his through his spirit is we have three that have these similarities, and then we have John who's telling the story differently. And so we take what we have, you know, and we we try to treat it with the utmost respect and with the correct approaches, with the correct tools in, in order to understand these things. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a little bit about something we've talked about talking about for some time is the Gospels and their relationship to one another. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, thanks so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. No problem, Ryan. Talk to you later. See you soon. Bye-bye. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, Brian and I are welcoming a special guest, Dr. John Weatherly. John is a New Testament professor at Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee. One of Dr. Weatherly's areas of study and concentration are the books of Luke and Acts. In this episode, he tells us all about the book of Luke, who Luke might have been, and the revolutionary nature of how and what Luke wrote. I learned a lot, and Dr. Weatherly gives us a lot to chew on. We hope you will join us for that next week. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com, as well as sign up for our email newsletter to stay in touch, but also to get some exclusive content we are working on right now. You can find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.